It is finished. These are the last words that these would hear Jesus say. And it happened on a cold, dark, and rugged Friday. See, people would assume that this was the end, but a new day would start. The hardest day would just begin. That day was a Saturday, and it was filled with mourning and filled with grief, knowing that their friend was gone. The disciples stood there in disbelief. And as each moment passed, the pain surpassed the last, reminded of every whip and lash and the breaking of Jesus' body like glass. But it wasn't until the sun would come up on a Sunday when all of their fears and their pain and their doubts would go away. See, the disciples understood that when they discovered the empty grave, history was to be made. Because it wasn't the end when Jesus said, it is finished. What he was trying to say is that sin is diminished. That you don't have to carry that weight on your shoulders because a dead man would rise and move that boulder. To conquer the very thing that separated us from God, which is death itself, so that we could be living our best and most holy self. See, the devil, he thought there was a period when there was actually a comma because Jesus said, I came to fulfill every debt. I'm not done yet. And he didn't want you or I to forget that he chose the hardest choice. So why be sad? Why not rejoice? Rejoice, for he is risen. You no longer have to be held captive in your own sin prison. So rise up from every shackle and rise up from every chain for the blood of Christ is pumping through your veins and one thing remains it isn't about what Jesus did but about what Jesus has done we're living in a story of victory because good has won Praise the Lord, everyone. We're going to pray this prayer. To, we're going to pray this prayer for the glory of the Lord. Oh, gracious and most holy Father, we are here today and every day to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. All around the world today, we are celebrating the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Love hung on the cross. Hallelujah. Love hung on the cross. You wore a crown of thorn so we could wear a crown of glory. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And that crown of thorns represents all our sin. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. You cancel the record of charges against us and took it away by going to the cross. It may have looked to some that the enemy had won. But oh Lord Jesus, on the third day, you Jesus rose from the dead and turned Satan's plans upside down. Hallelujah. And even today, the enemy, the enemy still don't like the church. <laughs> 
but you, Lord Jesus, has given us the power to change the world through your gospel. We seek you on ongoing blessings today, asking for courage and strength to bring people to accept you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to remember and never forget that our baptism is identified with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Praise your name, Lord. So, Father God, we thank you that we live in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. Our faith reminds us that we are raised above sin that, try, that tries to hold us down. But we will be risen, raised from the dead, alive to be with you forever. Rejoicing in the reality that in Christ we live both now and forever. Let us never forget that our baptism also reminds us that just like we went down, we will get up. Lord God, thank you for the resurrected power we have in you. Today we dive into the glorious riches found in your death, burial, and resurrection. We bless you that we have the power to say no to sin and yes to the living for your glory and honor. And our stand, we will stand on the word, depending on the Lord, trusting him, and he will take care of us. When it comes to salvation, there is only one road, Father, and we thank you for that. And that road is the path to Jesus himself. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word, sorry. Hear the word of God from Mark's Gospel, chapters 15 and 16. I will read the passage in Mandarin Chinese and followed by French and then English.就是安息日的前一天，一个一向等候神国度的尊贵的议员亚利马太的约瑟来了，就放胆的进去见比拉多，求领耶稣的身体。比拉多惊讶耶稣已经死了，就叫百夫长前来问他求领。呃，不好意
请看他们安放他的地方。你们去告诉他们的他的门徒和彼得，他要比你们先到加利利去。你们在那里必定看见他，正如他从前告诉你们的。因为惊恐站立，他们一从坟墓出来就逃跑。由于害怕，他们什么
Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, clothed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look. This is, sorry, this is where they laid his body. Now go tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. Amen. (laughs) The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Easter. Christ is risen. risen Amen. So good to be able to make that proclamation alongside you and alongside countless multitudes around the world. It's so good to be able to worship together on this resurrection day. What a joyous day that we get to celebrate. This is Easter, my people. Easter. And that's what we are. We are Easter people, people who live in the reality of the resurrection. People who get to celebrate the risen Savior every day of our lives. I love that this, historically for us, traditionally for us as followers of Jesus, this is the celebration. This is our holiday. When everything that we know about faith and life comes to to truth and into being because of what Jesus did at Easter, we serve a risen Savior. We have a living hope because of Easter. So what a joy to come together, to worship together, to sing together, to praise together on this Easter Sunday as a family. Now, I know this reality that some of you are actually probably not a part of our church family today. That you may be here visiting with other members of your family. You might, be, you have, might have another family or you might not have any family at all that you consider your church family. But we're glad you're here today. And so may today for you be a family experience. Even if you're not used to having a family, even if your family is dysfunctional, even we actually are quite dysfunctional and weird here too. But we're glad you're here with us. That we can be weird together, and we can worship together, and I hope you feel at home and a part of family here as well. Because that's what we're doing today. As a church family, we're celebrating. As a family, we're coming together to celebrate. It might not be perfect in every way. It might not be perfect in every instance, but it's family. And this is what we do as we celebrate Easter. Today, I want to go over the story of the resurrection out of Mark chapter 16. 
And as a church, we've been in a series through the whole book of Mark for a few weeks now. And this is actually the second to the last sermon in this series. Pastor Danny, next week, will be finishing up the series on Mark. And um, you'll see that it has a kind of a different ending. If you actually read your Bible, you see that at one point, some manuscripts say, this part might be an early manuscript and it might not be. So Pastor Danny will explain all that next week. But today, I want to focus on this resurrection scene in Mark chapter 16. We find Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, who bought spices so they can come and anoint Jesus. Now this anointing was a common practice for the early deceased, the nearly deceased, the, the women were going to honor Jesus in this manner, to uphold tradition, to care for the body. But I think honestly, more than anything else, they were going to mourn. They were going to weep. They felt such searing loss and they were processing the way that they knew how to by holding to the responsibilities they needed to do, but also just to mourn. And I find it so significant that these were the ones who were there. These are the ones who were mentioned. These three women are going intentionally to take care of the body of Jesus. They took it upon themselves as their responsibility. But where are his disciples? Where are his best friends that he lived life with for the past three years? Most of the gospels will tell you that they were scattered. They'd gone away. They were afraid. Even the rock, Peter, denied Jesus. Their teacher was crucified. They didn't know what to do, but the women knew what to do. They needed to mourn. They needed to process. They needed to see Jesus. So they gathered together and they went to see Jesus. Now there are those who exist in this world that attempt to sell this idea that maybe this whole religion, this whole Christianity was birthed on a lie. Maybe the disciples got together and said, hey, here's a good story. Maybe we should steal Jesus' body and tell people a fake story. And they somehow were able to steal the body away from the Romans' guards, then make it, make it appear somehow to countless people, and have their story collaborated over and over again through persecution and torture. There are some who try to say that this was all a made-up story. Tim Keller shares about Celsus, a Greek philosopher who lived in the early 2nd century. He was highly antagonistic to Christians and wrote numerous works speaking out against it. One of the arguments he believed most telling went like this. Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. And they all knew women were hysterical. That was his argument. I'm not, this is not my argument. Just, <laughs> just making sure. Making sure. And many of Celsus's readers agreed. For them, that was a major problem. In ancient societies, women were marginalized. And in this society in particular, the testimony of women were never given much credence. But do you see what this means, right? If Mark and the early Christians were making up these stories to get their movement off the ground, they would never have written women into the story as the first eyewitnesses to Jesus' tomb. Never. It just doesn't make sense. It's just foolishness because they thought women were hysterical. The only possible reason for the presence of the women in these accounts is that they really were present and reported what they saw. The stone rolled away, the tomb empty, and the angel declaring that Jesus is risen. It's intentional. The women were the first ones there because they were the first ones there. The first ones written about because they were the first ones who saw what happened. And God saw these incredible women there to mourn. So they went to the tomb just at sunrise. And they asked this question. I just love it. They're here. They're here mourning and they're sad. And they're walking up. And all of a sudden one looks at the other one and is like, um, what about that stone? Isn't there a stone, right? They put a stone in, in place. 
Remember that the, they were afraid of people, somebody maybe stealing the body, heavy stone, and they had Roman soldiers. They asked the question, who will roll the stone away from us, for us? Now, you got to forgive them. They were, they're mourning here, right? They were, they were processing, they were weeping, and you got to forgive them for not thinking who would roll the stone away. Or maybe they thought, maybe there's some Roman guards would help them roll it away. Or maybe they thought, even if we can't roll it away, we'll just be out here and we'll still mourn out here. Either way, as they're approaching the tomb, they thought to themselves, there's a stone that prevents us to get into the body of Jesus. And the stone is not in our power. We don't have the physical strength or the ability. There's nothing in us that's able to roll this stone away. It would have taken like some like superhero type strength. I just love that this is pointed out. I love that this is pointed out because when they go up to the tomb, they realize that the stone was gone. Miraculously, the stone was rolled away. Ben, our pastoral intern here, was sharing with me that he found that to be the most profound element of this whole story. That the stone is gone, something that man under his own power could not remove, but God came and removed it, giving us access to the Holy One. The stone for Ben symbolized sin and it's something that separates us from God. And maybe you're sitting here today and you realize that you have sin. And it does. Sin separates us from God. And we know this. We feel this in our hearts, right? We feel further and further away the more and more we sin. The guilt it places upon us, the guilt we place upon ourselves. And we know that sin is there. The reality is we come to this conclusion that sin is just too much for us. The boulder is too big and it's too heavy. But the powerful thing is that when the women got to the tomb, the boulder was rolled away, that the stone was gone, not by the strength of the women or by the Roman soldiers, but by God. And it happened through the work and life, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, his fulfillment of the law, the life of love that he lived and the death upon the cross. He was able to remove the stone. And for you, if you feel so far away, for those who feel so full of guilt, you feel that you've done everything wrong in your life. Everything that is possible to do wrong. There's a checklist in your life. You're like, I've done it all. And there's that stone is way too big. I want you to know that our God is more powerful than a stone. And it's not yours to bear anymore. It's not in your power for you to move it. But Jesus does it. He did it sacrificially. He did it willingly upon the cross for you. So no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how far you think you've run away from God, I, I want you guys, I don't want you to miss this. Get this part here. There's this figure in the tomb, right? And the figure in the tomb tells the woman that Jesus isn't here. But it's not that Jesus isn't here, but it also tells them to tell the disciples to meet them in Galilee, like Jesus told them earlier. Earlier, two chapters ago, during the Last Supper, Jesus literally tells his disciples that he's going to die. They're going to be scattered, but to meet him in Galilee. He's reminding them of this plan. And he's reaching out to the ones, calling back the ones who are scattered. Now, any human being at this point would be, if it was me, I'd be like, forget those guys. You women, you're awesome. You're the best. You stuck around. You're faithful. You're strong. You're not afraid. Those guys, I don't need them. They scattered. They're wimps. They forsake you, they deny me. They, I love it, Peter, talk big game. I'll never deny, I'll never forsake you, never deny you. He's just denying me so quickly. They ran away. But Jesus pursued them still. He says, meet me in Galilee. I have plans for you, so I love you. Specifically, it says you go tell his disciples, including Peter. Why that including Peter, right? One 
believes because Peter is actually the mouthpiece for the book of Mark. That Mark was the, the writer for, for this actual book. That Peter might have been the one kind of speaking the words and Mark was writing him. So he was like, I got to include myself. Because he even reached me just because I'm cool. But also because for Peter, it meant so much. I'm the one that denied him. Yet he specifically wants to reach out to me. But I also want you to get this. Whether it was Peter writing this or not, or whether Peter is speaking this or not, Mark was very intentional that even Peter, even the one who denied him, even the one who said he never would. I mean, that's the harshest ones, right? The, the harshest betrayals are the ones who, who swore they'll never betray you, who swore they'll be with you to the end. But the rock denied Jesus, the one who walked a few steps on water. And Peter's making note, Mark is making note, but even, even Peter, even me, who feels so far away, even Peter, who feels so ashamed, he said, even Peter, come, come meet me here. I don't know if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the ways I've denied and betrayed Jesus. You don't know what I've been through. You can't mean me. And I'm telling you, even today, even now, even Peter, even you, he reaches to you. His death is, is enough for even you. And for every step that you feel that you've run away, you're like, man, I, I, I kind of heard this Jesus stuff when I was growing up, and I've, I've heard about it, but man, you should see the way I live my life now. I've forsaken everything I might have been taught. I've run so far away from him that I'm like in a whole other country. I'm in a whole other continent. You have no idea. And if I, even if I wanted to understand who God is, even if I wanted to build a relationship back, I'm so far gone, it's, it's impossible for me. Let me tell you that even this, even now, He's followed you every step of the way. Amen. That it's not a matter of how far you have to go back, it's a matter of how far he came for you. And he's there for you, even now. And then it says here that they went out and they fled from the tomb, trembling and panicked. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And it ends right there because they were too frightened. That's how it ends. What an abrupt, weird ending to a story, Right? Now, I know some of your Bibles have other potential endings here. I'll let Pastor Daddy talk about that next week. You'll hear that about that next week. But for us, this is how the book of Mark ends. And from the rest of the Gospels, you know more of what happens. It has a better conclusion than the rest of the Gospels. But if you read this just by itself, in the book of Mark, it's a weird ending. It's a little unsatisfactory, isn't it? It doesn't wrap anything up. It just kind of leaves it there. I want more closure in my endings. You know, it's like, it's like watching the ending of Lost. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like... So was it purgatory? What, what is this? This does not satisfy me. Or like watching the end of like the movie Inception. You know, he's like, does, does Tolkien stop? What happens here? Right? You just want to, you want to know. You want to know the end. Why is it ending like this? Why is it so abrupt? What is happening here? What happens to the disciples? What's going on? Why would you end it here? And it doesn't seem to make sense. Is there an issue with the translation? A translation? Is there an issue with, or is Mark just a terrible writer? Or maybe Mark is doing something intentional here. Maybe he's saying, I'm going to end it right here because the ball's now in your court. He's saying, make a decision. You have an empty tomb. It's on you now. What are you going to do about the empty tomb? What are you going to do about the resurrection of Jesus? That's the ultimate of all questions, the ultimate question of all human life. What do you do with this Jesus? Is he real? Is he alive? And if so, 
then shouldn't that change everything? Or is he not? But either way, you need to answer that question. What do you do with this empty tomb? What are you going to do about it? It sounds like Mark is ending it here because he's, he's ending it on this spot saying, this is where I brought you to. I've, I've, I've come to this whole story. I, I told you this whole story. I told you how he fulfills scripture. I've shown you the meaning of the work he's doing. I've shown you the life of love he lived. I've shown you the way he flipped the world upside down. I've shown you that he died upon the cross and he reaches to even you. Now the tomb is empty, his resurrected. What are you going to do about that? Do you accept it? Do you believe it? Do you see Jesus who he really is? Will you accept his free gift of love or do you deny it? People, I think the reality is most of us live in fear of death. We live through awareness of our mortality. And we need to do something about that. And the empty tomb gives us the confidence, gives us the hope that there's more to life than what we experience now. I always say this, and you, at Waypoint Church, you've heard me say it a bazillion times, I'll probably say it a bazillion more. But I believe that the human condition is this, that we all want to be known, we all want to be loved, and we all crave purpose. And the empty tomb is there is where we see the fulfillment of all that. Because in our desire to be known fully, fully known, without masks, without having to put on fake uh, situations or fake faces, without having to cover up our flaws or put on all the makeup, just to be known, to rest and to be comfortable, our fear, our concern is that being known means that we'll never truly be loved. Can I even think about myself? I truly admit my own heart, who I am, the depth of my darkness and my issues. I have a hard time loving myself. And so that's our fear, our human condition. We live in this worry. We try to act apart, look apart, dress apart, be something else that we might not, just so that we hope that maybe we can feel some love and, and that some, some semblance of this human condition being met. But to be fully known, to be fully loved, that's what Jesus accomplishes for us on the cross. Jesus can look at us now and see the depth of our sin and our darkness and our depravity. Look at that. Embrace it. Only in Jesus can we say this, that you can know all of me and make hair on my head. And I still, I can confidently say, but you still love me? Only in the work of Jesus. The way I am with all my sin and all my darkness, just who I am naturally in my state as I am. Can I say I'm known? And in being known, can I actually say, I can have the audacity and the boldness to say, I can be loved. Amen. Jesus knows my sin and my depravity, my weaknesses, my issues, my traps and my addictions, my obsessions. He knows it. He understands it all. And he still chose to love and to forgive. And the resurrected tomb shows that he conquered death and he calls us to eternal purpose and significance. Something, something eternal, something our souls yearn for. We want to be more than just living the rat race. We want more in life than just living the American dream. We want to do more than just eat, drink, and be merry. We want our lives to have purpose. We want to be able to be known and loved and to love others truly and well. We want to know that we're actually part of something that echoes throughout eternity. Part of a greater story in all of history. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we know that we have that hope now. That our lives are not meaningless, that there's something more powerful going on than even our suffering, that all the good that we go through in this life is part of the kingdom advancing and it's part of something better and bigger than we can ever hope for or imagine. My people, what are you going to do about the empty tomb? Is it empty? 
If it is, do you believe it? Do you accept it? And will you live like it? Jesus is risen. After a criminal does his time in jail, fully satisfies the sentence, the law has no more claim on him and he walks out free. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for our sins. That was an infinite sentence, but he must have satisfied it fully because on Easter he walked out free. The resurrection was God's way of stamping paid in full right across history so that nobody can miss it. Mark ended his gospel abruptly with the empty tomb so that nobody can miss the question that's before us today. So this morning, I want to ask you, I want you to come face to face with the reality of the empty tomb. And I want you to ask, what does it mean to be known and to be loved and to be called to purpose? What will you do about the empty tomb? What will you do with it? That's the question Mark asked from the beginning of his gospel to now. Do you believe? And in that belief, will you live in the resurrection reality? Let's pray. God, what a good God you are. And God, we hear this question placed before us now, God, and may we choose, for those of us who've been following you for a long time, for those of you right now, for those of us who are questioning whether or not to choose to believe, God, may we live in the reality of this question, may we live in the reality of the empty tomb. May we come face with that question right now. And so, God, we see the empty tomb and we profess you as our living savior and our living hope. And know that one day death has no control. It's not the final say over us. That death has no sting. We now live in the hope of the empty tomb. And know that one day all will be made new. And though we suffer for a little bit now. And we enjoy for a little bit now. We know that in all things, God, you work all things for the good of those who love you. So God, that even our suffering now has purpose and significance. So let us be known, let us be loved, calls to purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.